Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this extra special event at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Apologies for the slight delay bringing you in. It will be worth the wait, we assure you. Um, as you know, this is a, a pioneering event with two of the world's greatest living writers, both Canadian, Margaret Atwood, demonstrably here with us in Edinburgh, and Alice Munro. Uh, who is at the Bayfield Bookstore, her local bookshop in Bayfield, <laughs> Ontario. Um, I'm Catherine Lockerbie, I'm the director of the Book Festival, and for me, this is a way of making possible something that would otherwise have been impossible. Alice Munro is one of the writers, along with Margaret, who I have most wanted to bring to the festival over the years, and it simply hasn't been possible. We've worked towards this literally for years, and for me it's not an exaggeration to say it's a dream come true, this tonight. I want just very briefly to explain the structure of the event. Most of you should have had a letter, some of you may not have received it. Margaret and Alice Munro will be in conversation. Then there will be a chance to ask questions from the floor. Please just try and keep these succinct and clear, if you possibly can. And then in a, in a, a charming combination of the low-tech and the high-tech, uh, my lovely assistant will draw some raffle tickets. <laughs> <laughs> You've always wanted to be a bingo caller, haven't you? Um, it seemed a, a fair and transparent way of doing it. If your number's called, please make your way down to the front towards the long pen kiosk. Um, if you haven't got a book with you, we do have a small stock of books. You can take one of ours and then pay for it in the signing tent or bookshop afterwards. You'll be helped to place your book in the correct position. You'll be able to see Alice Munro on screen, just talk to her briefly. Um, you'll be able to ask her something, make a comment for obvious reasons, uh, try and keep it brief. She won't be able to sign any dedications, just her name, which in itself is extraordinary given that she's on the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> Um, you should know that the event's being recorded uh, for possible use on the Long Pen website, almost certain use on the Long Pen website. If you're one of the people having your book signed in a further piece of magic, um, you will be able in about two weeks' time approximately be able to download for free a video of you having your book signed by Alice Munro. <laughs> it just gets better and better. <laughs> When the book signings are happening, if you're not one of the lucky ones, you'll be able to watch the process on screen, and it's very much part of the event. So we do invite you to, to stay and watch that. I really think that's enough of the technical bit and the housekeeping. Um, now for the literature in Edinburgh, please welcome Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Alice can actually see me and hear me. So I have to be careful what I say because she's quite strict. <laughs> uh, Alice, I hope you can hear the excitement in this Edinburgh Festival main theater this evening. This is a, a group of excited Scots people. <laughs> and they're very much looking forward to <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to seeing you. Um, Alice is one of the top writers in the world, no question, writing today. And there she is, so please be. <laughs> this is Alice Laidlaw Monroe. And I say Laidlaw because this book 
called The View from Castle Rock, um, is Alice's book that ties in with her Scottish ancestors. She is, in fact, a descendant of James Hogg, the Ettrick Shepherd, author of Confessions of a Justified Sinner. And justifying sin has always been very much a part of <laughs> <laughs> of Alice's work. <laughs> so I will just quote from the back of the book, always a reliable source, unbelievably good is what it says there. It might be a breakfast cereal, but it's not. It's, <laughs> it's Alice, unbelievably good. Um, Alice is now going to read from The View from Castle Rock, which begins here in in Scotland and also in Edinburgh. She's going to read from, for five minutes and then I will ask her some questions and then you will ask her some questions. So take it away, Alice. <laughs> She's never going to forgive me for this. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read since we are celebrating Longpen today. I thought I would read a letter written nearly two centuries ago with a very different kind of pen, and it was written by my great, great, great grandfather, a man who had spent most of his life in Scotland yearning to go to North America. When he was 60 years old, a bit more than 60 maybe, he actually went to North America. And this is the letter he wrote back to one of the sons whom he hadn't persuaded to go with him. And uh, you'll see quite a bit of uh, a difficult personality in this letter. You'll also see that once he got to the New World, there were many, many things that he deplored. And I think maybe one of those things would be the accent in which his descendant is reading this letter. <laughs> <laughs> speaks very good English. There's many of our Scots words they cannot understand what we are saying, and they live far more independent than King George. There is a road goes straight north from York for 50 miles, and the farmhouses almost all two stories high. Some will have as good as 12 cows and four or five horses, for they pay no taxes, just a perfect trifle and they ride in their gigs or chairs like lords. There is no Presbyterian minister in this town as yet, but there is a large English chapel and Methodist chapel. The English minister reads all that he says, unless it be for his clerk, crying out always at the end of every period, good Lord deliver us. And the Methodist prays as loud as ever he can, and the people is all down on their knees praying, Amen. So you can hear scarce what the priest is saying, and I have seen some of them jumping up as if they would have gone to heaven, soul and body. But their body was but a filthy clog to them, for they always fell down again, although crying, Oh Jesus, oh Jesus as if he had been there to pull them up through the loft. Now, Robert, I do not advise you to come here, as you may take your own will. When you did not come along with us, I do not expect ever to see you again. 
May the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush rest upon you. If I had thought that you would have deserted us, I would not have come to you. It was my aim to get you all near me, made me come to America. But man's thoughts are vain, for they have, I have scattered you far wider, but I cannot help it now. I shall say no more, but wish that the God of Jacob be your God, and may be your guide forever and ever, is the sincere prayer of your loving father till death. But he does go on and say more, but that's enough for now. <laughs> Alice. Um, Alice, yes. it's, can you see me? Yes, I can. Yes, can you see me? Okay, yes. Um, so now is the time when I'm going to ask you questions. And the first question I'm going to ask is, the view from Castle Rock is quite a different sort of book from the other books of, that you have written. Uh, can you tell us how it's different? Well, it's quite different in that I use real people, uh, my ancestors, and uh, I use actually letters that were written, as you've just heard, uh, by real people. And um, I've, I've never done this before. It's a very queer mixture, really, of fiction and nonfiction, because while I'm using these real people and quoting their words, I'm also um, making up things that they might have said. Um, implying that I know something about their character, which in, in fact I don't know, and I just hope nobody ever does this to me. <laughs> so, so, Alice, you did research. You did quite a bit of research on this book, and I understand that you actually came over and sort of snuck around. You came over and snuck around in Scotland without anybody knowing that you were here. Is, is that right? Indeed I did. Indeed I did. And I actually went with the shopper's bus out to Ettrick Bridge End, and then caught a ride with the postman and went up to the end of the Ettrick Valley and had a good look at things. It rained all the time, by the way. <laughs> and and, uh, and so I, I, I was doing all, and I also worked in the, in the Selkirk and Galashiels public libraries, which were very helpful. I found out a lot more things about the Laidlaws that I didn't put in. And maybe I should write another book. There was a Laidlaw woman who was a witch, but more of her another time. Um, okay, was she, was she a direct ancestor, Alice, or was she by marriage? Peggy, I can't tell you. Yeah, so I've got a... direct. Direct will be more likely. Yes. I've got a witch, too, but only by marriage. <laughs> That's our story. <laughs> so... Every once in a while, you claim that you're not going to write anymore. Is that true at the moment? <laughs> I haven't taken my final vows. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do write a bit, but I'm not sure about publishing anymore. But you've always said that. <laughs> Have I? That's what people say, and I don't remember always saying Of course that. not. We, we, we repress these things. Yes. 
Um, but you are writing something at the moment. I'm not going to ask you what, because I, I never answered that question anyway, myself. But we're, we're all happy to know that you are writing at the moment. Wild applause. <laughs> the attitude towards writing in Huron County um, when you grew up was not exactly what one would call encouraging. Uh, the view of writing was that it was just making things up and beyond that it was putting on errors if you managed to get published. Um, so that being the case, what made you do it as a younger person? I think it was the only thing I could do to give me that amount of pleasure. And the fact that it wasn't encouraged meant that you could do it as quite a secret thing. And uh, when you're a young writer, I don't think it's a bad thing to have it be something that people are not interfering with, whether they are discouraging or encouraging you. And so I had some advantage that way. And uh, I, I continued even after I got out of Huron County writing very much in obscurity. And uh, it uh, wasn't too bad. I remember the 60s when you were writing those first stories. And like, uh, every fiction writer in Canada, um, you didn't have a lot of outlets for them, but you had some. And one of them was a radio program called Anthology that was on the CBC. And we all loved that program because it actually paid money. <laughs> can you say a bit about that? Yes, I can. I, I'll tell something that, uh, that has to do with that program. I would send them stories, and I sent them a story called um, Thanks for the Ride. I remember that. And uh, Robert Weaver sent it back with regrets, but um, he said he, he didn't think it was quite a finished story or something like that. And so I was rather upset, and I gave it to my then husband to read. You should never, ever do that. <laughs> no. And my then husband said carefully, well, I don't think this is one of your best stories. Whereupon, I went into a snit, tore the story up, put it in the garbage. And I did not have a copy. In a few days, I got a letter from Robert Weaver saying, well, you know, that wasn't such a bad story. <laughs> and maybe I'd like to publish it and pay for it, by the way. And so I had to go and sit down at the typewriter and write it all again, which I did. And I have not asked a husband since for his yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's one very good piece of advice for writers. <laughs> and, it, and the same applies to wives. <laughs> so that's one very good piece of advice. You have one other very good piece of advice for writers. Do I have, maybe stop before it gets on you too much. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't followed that, Alice. I, I don't mean that at all. That's just silly. Uh, just live like everybody else. We're not that different, I don't think. What about the writing part? <laughs> well, keep up that as long as you can. And don't expect it to be easy. 
That's good. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a private thing that isn't very glamorous and often isn't very fun, but it's absolute need. So you may as well do it. There you go. That's good advice. <laughs> Now I'm going to turn the questions over to you, the audience. And there's some handheld mics here. And we're going to turn up the lights. And there you can probably see them all. And when they wave their hands around, somebody will bring them a mic. <laughs> wave one hand if you have a question. There's one right there. Could you stand up so, so Alice can see you? There we are. Hello. Is it... Hello? Hello. <laughs> is it coming over a wire or via a satellite? Is it coming over a wire? <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the kind of question that Alice can answer. <laughs> and it's, it's almost not the kind of question that I can answer. We're, we're both people who think that when you turn the light on, the bulb lights up. End of, end of story. We, do, we don't actually want to know how it happens. But the person who can tell you is Marty. And he will tell you that it comes through the broadband. So that would be over a wire in, the, in short. Yes, in very short. <laughs> Don't be shy, Alice isn't. <laughs> Hello, I'd like to ask you um, a question about your recent collection of love stories. Um, I recently enjoyed a, one of the stories in particular called The Bear Came Over the Mountain. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if you could say something about your use of the feeling of nostalgia for the main character, Grant, in exploring his deeper emotions. Well, while you're thinking about Al that, Alice, I'll, I'll tell you that that story has been made into a film, uh, which just came out in Canada. And the name of that film is? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the bear came over the mountain. But through the wonders of the internet, if you put that in, you'll probably get the name of the film, which I... What? Away from her. Away from her. That's what it is. Hooray. Has anybody seen it? Was it good? Alice, it's good. <laughs> but it's not quite the same as the story. It's exactly the same as the story. Therefore, it must be good. <laughs> no, about the question, which was nostalgia? Yes. In, in, the, in the central character. Yeah. Yes. You know, nostalgia is absolutely, though I'm not sure if I use that word when I think about it, but looking into the past is a staple of my writing. And, um, and of course, when Fiona begins to um, lose some of her mental ability when she gets Alzheimer's, really, 
uh, Grant can look at the person who is not now the person he knew, but he thinks of the person he knew. But you know, as we get older, I think we all do that. We look at people of our own age, and we see, if we knew them for a long time, we see the younger person, in some cases, with your own kids, you see the child, and they don't like that much at all. <laughs> but, you know, um, we're using the view of the past in all our emotional uh, reality, I think. This one up there. There it goes. Good evening. In a life full of as much achievement as yours, do you have any regrets? And if you don't, what are you most proud of? A mean question. Very mean. <laughs> no, that's, that's very interesting. Like most people, I have regrets. I mainly have regrets that I could people and that I couldn't lead a perfectly, uh, you know, the life of a writer uh, blocks you off, not just uh, from, you know, you think, because if you're a woman, you think, oh, family and so on didn't get the full attention they should have, maybe. But then often you find out that families don't want that kind of constant attention anyway. What I'm thinking is that you always regret things, but I don't think the things I regret have much to do with being a writer. And if I hadn't become a writer, I would regret that a great deal. <sighs> now, she's not going to answer what you're most proud of, because Canadians never answer that question. They're not allowed. They're sort of like Scots. If you answer what you're most proud of, then you're guilty of being puffed up. And. Uh, Alice, Alice knows about being puffed up, and Canadians aren't allowed that any more than Scots are. Isn't that right? Isn't there something that we're proud of, you and I? Oh, we, that we're not allowed to say it, though. You're not allowed to say it. It's all right yeah, to... you still have the waist you had when you were 20. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have the waist I had when I was 20, but it's in a different place. <laughs> so around my neck. <laughs> anyway, one thing you'll like to know about Alice and me is that we're both very fond of hats. That's a little, put that in as a little personal touch. It's not that we're proud of them. We're not puffed up about them. We just like them. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask you a question about the wonderful story called um, Hold Me Fast, Don't Let Me Pass. Um, it's Liz. Yes, it's Liz. Hi, Hi, Liz. Alice, I'm going to be talking about you on Friday afternoon, this is, this about is, your Scottishness and how much I just love your work which has given me more pleasure than any other living writer's work. It just has. Liz, Liz Lockhead from Glasgow, a very well-known writer. And here she um, is, Trey. We love her here. Anyway. Um, 
<laughs> well, there's a story of yours, among the many that I love. I love the story, Hold Me Fast, Don't Let Me Pass. And when I was reading um, The View from Cra Castle Rock, when I was reading about you rooting around in the Ettrick um, uh, graveyard, I thought, did you write that story after that bit of research? Is that story in um, The View from Castle Rock almost as old as Hold Me Fast, Don't Let Me Pass? Or not? <laughs> the answer is, is yes. I wrote that story from that experience. You're very smart. <laughs> <laughs> We've always thought you were pretty smart. But don't get, don't get puffed up about it. Anyway. <laughs> Good afternoon. Um, you're one of the very favorite writers of people here, so what about yourself? Do you have favorite authors and are there Scottish or Russian authors among them? <laughs> but I don't give lists because I always leave out my dearest friends. Exactly. I might leave out Margaret Atwood, but I would terrible. be in terrible trouble. Yes, you would, yes. Yes, yes. but we can, we can say the Chekhov word without fear of reproach. Yeah. Yeah. Fine with dead people, yes. Dead yes. people, yes. Yes, yes. Dead people, uh, James Hogg. We can say the hog word. Those? And, uh, I've gone blank. Never mind. Gone blank. Somebody pick me up. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. We have a series of books being published here where authors are choosing some of the myths and legends. Sorry. Um, and I particularly enjoyed Penelope Ad. If you had to choose a myth or legend for this series, which one would you choose? Well, that's tricky. That is something I'd have to think about. You know, I find life mythical and legendary. And so I, I choose my topics from, so far, from things I know that have happened to people and, um, or from things I imagine about people. I don't think I'll tell you something though, I'm, I'm writing now uh, about a real person. Um, she's not a myth or a legend, but she's, um, she's someone important in the history of women. I wonder if any of you have heard of the Russian, and the, there was a lady who asked me about Russian writers. Uh, this is a Russian um, mathematician and novelist named Sonia Kovalevsky who lived between um, 1851 and 1891 in uh, Russia and other parts of Europe. And writing about a real person and writing about a real life is a fascinating uh, new um, direction that I'm taking at present. I'm sorry, I got right off the myths and legends, but in a way, Sonia is like a mythical person to me. She's one of those very important women. Maybe, maybe two more. Hi, Alice. Um, 
We've got some people here from our book club in Edinburgh, which is the best book club on the planet, and one of our best discussions was The Bear Came Over the Mountain, and the biggest point of contention was, was Fiona really, really mad? Did she really have Alzheimer's? Oh, you thought maybe she was pretending. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow, what an idea. <laughs> I think your book club must be filled with people with very devious minds. <laughs> you know, you, you could write a whole uh, new story reflecting that point. It, I, in my mind, she really had Alzheimer's, okay? Mm -hmm. One more. Yes. Is, is there an age of a woman that you enjoy writing most? An age of a woman. Oh, at what age? Or find work most difficult? I usually write stories about people who are the age I am. As if, uh, as I go through life, I begin to discover new things about how we feel at different stages of our lives. So um, that, that, would be, that would be what I'd answer to that. If I live long enough, I may be writing about people who reach a hundred. Yeah. So, and we hope you do, Alice, and that you keep writing all that time. So that was the last question. <laughs> now I'm going to pick the first 15. So we're going to come up and get the book signed. Number 202.